to Real Chronicles, brought to you by RealTalkInc.com. I am your host, David. I am joined with the only person I feel like can talk about the greatest film, or one of the greatest films of all time, The Godfather, Mr. Jack. How you doing? Uh, this is my fifth episode with you now. I think I did the two Oscar predictions, the draft, and the Batman. And I've got a few more that I'm slated to appear on in the future. But I gotta say, this is probably the one I'm the most excited for, because... I know that this movie has, well, this whole franchise, really, but the first movie in particular really affected me and the way that I look at movies. So I'm definitely really excited to talk about this movie and give some of our rankings. Yeah, same here. Um, This is my these are my two favorite films of all time, Godfather one and Godfather two. And because the film, the original is celebrating his 50th anniversary, I feel like it's only right that we look at some of the moments in the entire trilogy. The good and the bad. Can't wait to mm-hmm. talk about um <laughs> the the hot take I have about Mary Corleone a little later. Uh, mm. Spoiler: She is not my worst character in the entire franchise because not not mine either. Yeah, not mine either. yeah. I think I'm looking at characters, not performances, so mm-hmm. that helps. Mm-hmm. She is on my list for certain aspects of it, but she is not going to be my worst character. Can't wait to talk about that. Uh, before, we, yeah, go ahead. I, I was gonna say, yeah, I, I for worst, I took a liberty of doing both i took both into consideration but like with all the behind the scenes stuff i definitely didn't like dock i didn't dock sofia coppola for all that stuff so yeah i mean the winona Ryder thing always always hits man I, yeah i i think that would have been a completely different film if she had signed on as in mm-hmm. i think she probably would have won the oscar if she she was that good at the time that i think and she was that hot as an actress i think that was right around heather's uh beetlejuice uh, it would have been either her or Lorraine Bracco for oh, Goodfellas. Goodfellas, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is true. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. Before we get into that here, we'll get into some of the news of the week. Uh, Bruce Willis is retiring from acting. And <sighs> yeah, the, and the, the Razzies decided to not be assholes for once. Yeah, that was... As soon as I heard that, the first thing I thought about was that whole category. And I just... So somebody mentioned I was just like, dang, he was probably just focused on getting the getting the bag for those last like few movies he did. So, I mean, I can't really blame him for that. I'm glad that they actually made that decision because would this be the first good thing that the Razzies have done? They did two good things that we spoke about yesterday. The other one was removing Shelley Duvall's win, right? She won nomination nomination Nomination. for worst actress in The Shining, which is blasphemous because I think she's actually tremendous in that movie she's, uh, yeah, she's extremely good i think the um the, the performance in the shining i mean i think the whole movie has gotten such a revamp and a relook since 1980 so uh but yeah bruce willis is retiring because he is suffering from a aphasia is that how you pronounce it like aphasia i aphasia? think i'm not sure so pretty much like what you said the last year and two he's been working with these uh direct to video just to save some money for his family which is commendable i mean unsung hollywood icon from the 80s and 90s i think people don't give him enough credit for some of the action films he did in the 80s and 90s obviously die hard being at the top but i think willis is definitely one of the most 
popular action star of the 80s and 90s, and I think his work should show it. I think he did his recent serious role. He was in, um, oh my God, Motherless Brooklyn. A few yes, years, yes. a few years ago, that's the last thing I've I've seen from him. Uh, do you have any memories of his work that you want to shout out? <laughs> uh, well, obviously, Die Hard. Well, actually, no, The Expendables was the first. Oh yes, I saw yes. Him uh, yeah, I saw The Expendables at like twelve, and that sort of opened the doors for like all of those guys and their movies. And I eventually got to Die Hard. Um, and I, I still love Die Hard. It's, one of my favorite films. And then I saw him in Pulp Fiction, which is obviously, you know, a completely different movie, but still great nonetheless. Um, and he was also the narrator in a man. I, I, I can't believe for any, any, any shout out to uh, one of our listeners, JC and contributor on the podcast and say he, uh, we make fun of this movie called North. I think this was way ahead of you before your time, Jack. It's, yeah, a, I, I that. it's Elijah Wood. It's literally, I think one of his worst films. But Bruce Willis is the narrator in that movie. Uh, oh, wow. And yeah, also whole nine yards, whole ten, whole ten yards. And, and Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. So uh, he did a lot. So I think he has a, he's leaving a career that he should definitely be happy with. Um, yes. So yeah, that's the first bit of news. The second bit of news that I wanted to touch on was, uh, have you seen it, Mr. Jack? 2017 and 2019 it's chapter one and chapter two uh yes i watched them i don't have the fondest memory of them because i saw them once in theaters and not since so stephen king's it is receiving a prequel which which will touch on the pretty much the origins of pennywise the clown uh very interesting concept uh i don't particularly think that it's needed it's an interesting Mm -hmm. thing but i'm not one that is like Oh my God! Do we need more? It. I think the, those two films made enough money, and and you have the 1990 limited series, which Tim Curry is an absolute delight as yep. Pennywise the clown. So yeah, uh, that's coming soon. And then a little show last week. Oh wow! <laughs> I I want to say that uh, before we start looking at the Oscars uh, recap and aftermath, because there is some aftermath. Um. Shout out to Jack and myself and all the guys, Hunter, Helmer, Tristan, Julie, Sean. We did pretty well on our Oscar pools. We uh, did. Yeah. I, I went 21 for 23 because I said Dune has to lose one tech award like an asshole. Uh, and I was wrong. They did not have to lose any tech award for the most part. Uh, so the one where I got where I went wrong and the uh, was uh, editing. I went with King Richard. But you actually. You said King Richard on the podcast, right? And then you sw- you stayed with it at Gold Derby. So shout out to you for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I that was the really the last one. I was just like, I, I could see the King Richard because you know sports movies like to do well there. Um, but I was also just thinking like it could just be like me overthinking it, and it just like I because I did the same thing with Mad Max back in 2015. Yes, with, like, two different tech categories. So. I kind of just what I was just decided to split it up, and I'm really mad I didn't go back on the podcast because I would have gone 22 out of 23, and then no way we got uh, windshield wiper. There were some pundits on Gold Derby that were picking it, but that's one that I always say, I, and I ended up winning my money, my money, um, Oscar pool, which is always a delight to win money. Um, I never care. If I lose or I'm wrong on a short, because those are just too unpredictable. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It's uh, if Disney's there, animated shorts usually a slam dunk, but because they weren't there this year, it was one of those like, ah, where where do we go? So, uh nothing. I would say this is the mo- from the most unpredictable season we've had. It turned out to be a very predictable night. That was how. Um... What year was it? I think it was 2017. There was it was a really crazy, it was a really crazy nomination season with like you know like Army Hammer and Michael Stuhlbarg like getting those nominations and missing at the Oscars and like really crazy nominations. But then when the winners came around, you know, we had the same four winners down the line. Shape of Water won. That wasn't anything out of left field. And then I think all the texts went about where they were expected. So. I'm very gonna, reminiscent of that year. And I want to say this. I want to get your thoughts on this. I haven't said this in our, our group chats. Mm-hmm. Jane needs to write a letter of thanks to the Academy for not nominating Denis. Because I think Denis would have won director if he was there. The way Dune was going, the mm-hmm. way Power of the Dog was not going, <laughs> I think it could have been a world where they would have gone 0 for 12. Yeah, I that, I mean that that would have been a new record cuz it's color purple going 0 for 11, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, dang. Um Yeah, I think that would have been the case especially with um I mean we we kind of hypothesized on the previous call about that whole critics choice um I think it was at the critics choice. It but was critics choice, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole acceptance speech kind of bungle and we weren't sure if that would maybe take some traction off of Jane Campion, but the fact that, that there wasn't really a number two kind of made it so it didn't. Agreed. But I do think that Denis would have been the easy number two for having the, he, the, the tech giant of the year. He may have locked up his Oscar in two years, but that Denis versus Christopher Nolan battle is going to be one for the ages, I think, in two years. Because <laughs> Oppenheimer also comes out next year with Doom Ooh. Part 2. So I think that's going to be a... a a bloodbath. Uh, yeah. No real surprises in the acting categories. Chastain won. That anonymous Oscar voter thing, need, people need to stop taking that serious. It's over. It's too yeah. short of a sample size. Um. So, yeah, Chastain, I don't love... I don't love the win. I think she's good in it. But I, I love her as an actress. So I'm very... I'm mm-hmm. perfectly fine with her having an Oscar. Troy Kotzer had the best speech of the night. I think agreed agreed yeah and the best suit of the night that tuxedo that dark mm-hmm. green tuxedo was chef's kiss um indeed um i was going to ask what did you think about what did you think about like the 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 segments like the reunions and stuff the godfather was the worst thing i've seen and we're going to talk about the godfather later with much more respect than the academy gave it the other day um mm-hmm. it was awful it was awful like why p diddy why I, I, a remix was a weird with I, I i like i liked p diddy's opening i will say that it, it was a weird choice but yeah. I, I did like his opening uh monologue before the tribute but the rap music i <laughs> that was weird and i mean i know al pacino is a little frail but why is he up there not talking and bobby there not talking also isn't this a tribute to the 50th anniversary why is bobby there to begin with that's another weird yeah. thing they did um, the Pulp Fiction one, I think, is probably my favorite one. I thought that one was fine. It was. It, I thought it. I thought it kind of suffered a similar thing where it was just Samuel talking, right? Yeah. But like the yeah, and and it was just like Uma and John Travolta like doing the twist behind him for like a minute and a half. I was kind of just like, ah, that's cute, but 
Why are you still doing it? <laughs> I joked with you off the line. I think the 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 007 one was uh, MGM's last tribute to what mm-hmm. their you know the legacy of the franchise before it becomes Amazon series, Amazon movies, and they're gonna get oversaturate the brand now, which is. What makes Bond so special, I think, is that we don't get one every year, that we do get one every four or five years. I think that's why I love the franchise so much. I think that's was, you know, I think the the premise of that, even though, like we we said off the line, this is five years ago. They had one five, six, it, years? T- ten, ten, ten. Yeah. yeah it was so, for the 50th. so I think that's why they did that. Um, the white man can't jump. I could have I yeah. could have been without it. This the actual clips. I hated, I hated the majority of them in terms of the like, uh, the Wanda Sykes going to the Academy Museum. I think that was awful for the simple fact that one, you're poking fun at the museum. I get it, it's supposed to be a running joke, but mm-hmm. at the same time, like you're trying to sell the museum to people that are going to go anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hated the some of the presenters. I just I hated. We don't talk about Bruno. I thought that was awful. I, I I don't know why they didn't open up with that because mm-hmm. I, I thought that, like all the kids who were gonna want to see that are gonna be in bed by like nine fifty p.m. Uh, on a school night. But uh, yeah, I, I did think uh, Dos Orgitas was actually better than Bruno. So did I. Which I I didn't think that was gonna be the case, but I mean all of all the musical performances I thought were just kind of like I don't think any of them really blew me away like some have in the past. Um. But yeah, I I just thought the show's production as a whole, like they cut the eight categories to save time, but then they still went over the last two shows where they did have all. I think it was the longest, so. the longest Oscars in five years. I think since the La La Land year, because that one almost went to midnight. Yeah, yeah, that one did. So it's it's insane. Um, I know we haven't talked about it yet. Uh, so I guess here's where we talk about the big elephant in the room um will smith decides you know i'm gonna win an oscar in about 20 minutes how can i ruin my career before i win my oscar and he goes on stage after chris rock makes one yes it was insensitive but it was also gi jane really a movie that's almost 30 years old is what what we're using as our as our uh our joke i also didn't think he was very good uh he had that uh training day joke of denzel doing shakespeare i thought that was very unfunny i didn't think he was funny at all and then he makes a joke about uh jada pinkett and gi jane too which jada has been who's done videos about her dealing with alopecia and Mm -hmm. will goes on and smacks him and we thought i thought it was a gimmick i was i when i first saw it i was like okay cool uh i i guess this is not funny but to you it's funny and then they cut and then they go back to him cursing. And that's when I'm like, oh, that must have really happened. I was with a couple yeah. of people here and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what were your immediate thoughts? Well, first off, uh, me, Hunter, Tyler and uh, Helmer, we were going to do a reaction video, but we didn't have anything to react to because the show <laughs> was so predictable. So we were just like, this isn't going to get uploaded. So we're on the call when this whole thing is happening and like the sound cuts off and Helmer and I are both like, wait, like, why is it still muted? And then we slowly begin to like piece it together. And mm-hmm. I, I, uh, 
I had read the lips correctly from Will Smith, so I was like, wait, like this is actually like serious. Because then I also saw Lupita's face. But yeah, it's just a really it's just a really unfortunate event, like for both sides, because like, ev- like everyone said, like this is now the legacy of the show. Agreed. Like it doesn't matter that Coda won best picture. It doesn't matter that like Dune won six Oscars, all that kind of stuff. It's now the Will Smith year. <laughs> and al- also the first thing I thought after this whole thing happened, it was funny because we were talking about it earlier that day after we finished that one, uh, the draft, uh, First thing I thought to myself, I was like, wow, Russell Crowe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, if this had happened like anywhere before, like it's over. The scariest part wasn't the fact, what was scarier than the fact that he did that was knowing that he did that and he's 99.9% about to win an Oscar. So that whole anticipation leading up to Best Actor just completely changed. Let me ask you, if that did happen after BAFTA and not, or critics choice Andrew Garfield wins that's who I would that's who I would think would be the alternate because I mean power of the dog clearly didn't have as much love as we thought and I think tick tick boom pro- I, I think honestly I think tick tick boom might have been what was in second place for editing I, I I could see that like getting love in a lower category despite it missing best picture yeah that's one that people are really passionate about I probably would say it was probably number 11 in picture, too. Yeah. If, yeah, you, for if sure. you really think about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I I was surprised and I was curious as to what was going to happen with his speech because we all pretty much, like you said, 99.9999% sure yeah. he was going to win. Um, I don't think he helped himself at all with his speech. I thought it was awful. It was cringe. I had a, well, I, I've never stepped away from my couch during a speech. Mm-hmm. I just like, all right, I'm going to go get some water because this is like very, very cringe to watch. It was yeah. like a, a self-destruction live on television. That's kind of the way that speech turned out. Um, and then we find out a few days later going into the aftermath of this specific situation that um, he has resigned from the Academy. Mm-hmm. He's officially lost his Netflix project. Uh, he's also. Um, I didn't know that one. The Bad Boy Four script was in the works, and that has officially been paused, not completely canceled, but paused. Mm-hmm. And the my guess is that Apple is just going to dump Emancipation because he has that coming this year. Mm-hmm. I think they're just going to dump it and then forget it exists and call it a day. Um, I am not for. And I, I'm very curious because we haven't talked about this. This is the first time you're probably hearing this. I don't think they should take his Oscar away because if we're doing that, I where where is the 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 push to take Polanski's Oscar away or all the Weinstein Oscars away, especially when people say this is the worst moment in the show's history. In my personal opinion, I think Polanski is easily the worst moment in the show's history because listen i we're gonna i actually rewatched the pianist this week and i think it's a v- excellent film yeah and we're talking about the film not the man the movie is incredible if not with his history it's a very deserved win for the for the direction of the film but the guy is a known rapist and he literally was not there and he got the only st- incredibly one of the biggest standing ovations of the night and that, I think, is the worst moment in the show's history. 
I completely agree. Yeah. So yeah, you're not gonna take. I would be very upset if they take away Will's. Do I agree with what he did? No, but we have a long history of the academy doing questionable things, and let's go all the way back to John Wayne. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone. We're about to talk about The Godfather, where Marlon Brando won his Oscar. And I, do you remember her name? I forgot her name. Sashin Littlefeather. Yes. And John Wayne was literally going to run to the stage to take her down. I mean, let's let's look at the entire history of the show before we start being prisoner of the moment and say we got to take Will's Oscar away. Yeah. But thoughts on um, him like leaving the Academy? Yeah. Um, I thought it was I, I thought it was good. I, I thought it was good of him to leave. And not have it be like he get kicked out because mm-hmm. um, like he posted his apology online, but there was also the video of him dancing at that after party. So it was kind of just a bit of like, how upset is he? You know, um, but but like you said about like taking his Oscar away, I mean, before that, I mean, that doesn't change the fact that he did give the best performance in that category of last year in my, in my opinion, at least. And that was, that was the case for like the entire year up till that like 30 minute mark. So, and then, yeah, I completely agree with the Polanski part. Um, it, it like movies are such a collaborative medium. Uh, I don't think it's okay to like dock an entire, an entire movie's credibility based on one person. Another good Polanski examples, Chinatown. That's still one of my favorite movies of all time. But, uh, but you you can still acknowledge that like oh this person like did some aw- aw- did some awful stuff, but like this movie is still good because all these other people are doing some great a work on it. Agreed, so. I agree one thousand percent. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll see what happens with Will Smith in the in the future. But last thing on the Oscars this year's Oscars is Coda doing the Lord's work and telling us we. I'm not going to give up on stats. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to take them as serious as I once um, did. I, I I don't think. Yeah, I think the PGA just kind of throws stats out the window. I think the stats are obviously still relevant to like the below the line in the acting categories with like SAG and all of that. But I think there's with a this, with this preferential ballot and kind of the unpredictability of the movies uh, that can win. Uh, I, I'm I mean I'm here for it. I I like the preferential ballot opposed to. Just a plurality vote. I, I, the only time I've ever been against a preferential ballot was 2016 because I think La La Land wins easily on a straight 10. Yep. Um, I also think if the election didn't happen and Hollywood did not want to make a point, because I think that's the thing. Hollywood likes to make a point during their award season. And then mm-hmm. the election happened in 2016. La La Land was pretty much the front runner till Oscar night. And then I think that that's where moonlight came up to win that's and i think current events lead to the oscars making certain decisions um la la land is the only one that i'm like oh man the preferential ballot kind of fucked my favorite film of the year yeah Uh, but parasite doesn't win without preferential ballot so i'm or unless you disagree with that do you think i i i think it could have i think people still had that general like overwhelming passion for it i don't think it was like I don't think it was a case of like, oh yeah, I really liked Parasite. It was like, oh, I really like Parasite. That's true. That's a good point. Whereas I guess like, I'm... whereas like Coda, everyone's like, oh, I really like Coda, and it might not be your favorite of the year, but everyone and I th- really likes it. Then I guess I think the better comparison is Shape of Water. I don't think Shape of yes. Water wins on a straight 
10. I, I'm not I'm not sure if Three Billboards would either. I'm not sure what it would have been that I year. I don't like that movie too much. Three yeah, Billboards. I, I think Francis is incredible in it. I don't I think Sam Rockwell is too, yeah. I, I agree. I, I like yeah. the acting wins. I don't particularly love the movie. I rewatched it like a year ago. I'm like, ah, this is not really I'm glad it didn't win picture. I really mm-hmm. like the shape of water. I I I, I yeah. even though a lot of people have it lower on their wins, I do think it's a it's a good win. But with Coda winning best picture, I have some stats that are are dead. Um Coda is the first film to win Best Picture with three or less nominations in 1932's Grand Hotel. Coda is the first film to win Best Picture without directing and editing nominations since 1932's Grand Hotel. <laughs> first time, uh, first film to win Best Picture after skipping all the fall festivals since The Departed. Uh, this is my favorite one because I've used this stat for many, many, many years and a lot of people didn't know this. Coda is now the second pit film in history to be a remake of a non-English film since The Departed, Departed because a lot yep. of people don't know that Departed is actually a remake. Uh, affairs. Yeah. First film to win Best Picture without a BAFTA Best Film nomination since Million Dollar Baby. First film to win Best Picture without a DGA nomination since Driving Miss Daisy. And the fir- this one's the most shocking one. Dis- even with Grand Hotel, this is the first movie to win Best Picture that premiered at Sundance. Oh wow! Ever? Ever? And I'm looking <laughs> at, I'm like, and I had to look at some of these Sundance premieres. I'm like, oh my god! Like some like incredible films premiered at Sundance, and then none of them have won, and this is it. I think in the long run, I've seen comparisons to Shakespeare in Love. I don't agree with that. I think it's very much for me. I've seen almost every single Best Picture winner now. I have six to go. Probably put it like in the 30, 40 range, maybe 40s. I don't think it's it's nowhere near the worst Best Picture winner of all yeah, time. Yeah, I, I, think pe- I think people are kind of giving it a little too much hate. Mm-hmm. But again, like once you're like, once you're like you and me and you've passed like, the 50 60 mark of like best picture scene like that's when you'll start to be like okay yeah like, i agree like i i it, not even um us like we have our we have our critic circle that i can say that you and i uh helmer hunter we're probably the ones that have seen a lot of the older ones from the 30s and 40s mm-hmm. i don't even think that like green book is in the top 10 worst best picture winners of all time i like the movie just fine i don't think mm-hmm. it's a deserving winner but like there are so many awful, awful movies that won Best yeah. Picture. Uh, <laughs> one of them that we may talk about in about two minutes here. Uh, and then the last bit of news for the day um, is I actually did my year in advance uh, predictions. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to run them by you, along with the fact that Babylon had his first uh, screening this week. So... Right now, my best picture of next year is Babylon. <laughs> that's my number one next year. After those initial reviews, even that's before, understandable. Yeah, even before that, I had it as my number one. I am a huge Damien Chazelle fan, so I have not disliked anything he's done. You're doing a movie about things that I love. Old Hollywood, not just old Hollywood, the transition from the silent to the talkies is something that always interests me that's why i love singing in the rain so much just to transition from state uh, from silent to talkies um, coming to you next week yes so that <laughs> is uh it, the movie takes place between 1925 to 1952 the movie is running 185 minutes 
from the first these are all from the first screening um they have compared it to wolf of wall street and fellini's satricon or, in comparison <laughs> yes uh they've already said that margot robbie is incredible in it that she is um she's playing clara bow and she is a surefire nominee next year which is not shocking they also uh talked about the opening of the film being just as good as la la land's opening which uh give me that all day every day um and that's all they've talked about they didn't really want uh, some of the stuff that i read they didn't want to go to too much details but it is being labeled a masterpiece and paramount's biggest player in decades i what can't have re- been their last i don't i don't even player? i don't even remember their last player to be honest with you i'm looking that up as we're speaking um paramount picture i mean i mean wolf of wall street really wasn't in consideration that year to it was win probably like, in, like fourth maybe although it is my favorite of the of the nominees that year i love that movie quite a bit i would honestly think so too that 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 year to me is honestly a, I, I think that in 12 years of slave that year is kind of like this past year where it's like a lot of really good consistent stuff but like nothing that like instantly like goes into like my absolute favorites territory yeah i agree it's and I mean, I think Twelve Years a Slave is deserving of Best Picture, but I mean, we also have that awful, awful Matthew McConaughey win over. Was that the Matthew win over Leo? Yeah, he won. He won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I rewatched Wolf of Wall Street a few weeks ago, and no man, Leo is easily the best in that category for me. Um, but yeah, I am excited. So that's my number one. My number two is She Said. The movie about the Weinstein uh, investigation. If this is anything, and I mean, this is very high bar, but give me something like All the President's Men, and I am all in on that. Uh, my number three is The Fablemans. Oh, no, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, my number four is The Fablemans. My number five is... One second. I am... There you go. Sorry about that. My number five is 13 Lives, the Ron Howard directed film. And listen, we've talked about Ron Howard on here. I hate talk, I hate putting Ron Howard in a best picture lineup, but it's <laughs> it's the highest rated MGM test screening of all time. So, yes, yes. Okay. It originally, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it originally had an April date or March date, and it got pushed to November because of the test screening that it had. Uh, then I have The Sun. I have Hugh Jackman as my uh, number two in year in advance winners for best actor. If he wins, he gets his EGOT, which is very it's something to look Ooh. out for. Uh, Asteroid City is up next, which we talked about. This is Wes Anderson's new film. I hope so. I really hope so. Uh, I have Bardo, the new Yadatu movie. Because we do need to have now we need to start looking at international features as a guaranteed best picture nominee. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's my choice. It could, I mean, obviously, I could be wrong. I don't expect to go 100 percent here because that would just be yeah, asinine. Yeah. Um, I have Empire of Light, the Sam Mendes film. Uh it's about cinema. Come on, like that that feels right. Yeah. And then number ten, I have the Batman because this is year in advance, and I I think the way the trajectory is going with the the box office, I think it could do it. Um. And uh, I I am aware that the killer was it the yeah the killer David Fincher's new film just finished wrapping so that could be something that 
to look out for. Uh, is there anything that I meant did not mention that you can see getting in? Uh, let's see. You you brought up Killers of Flower Moon, right? I did. That was my number three. Three. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. We've got pretty much the same top three. I've got Babylon Fableman's Flower Moon. Uh. The two that I'm interested in is uh the first is Decision to Leave. You you were talking about uh. You were, you were talking about potential international entries. That's, yes. uh, I believe that's Chan Wook Park, uh, director of Old Boys. So perhaps mm. that makes a big splash. And the other, um, th- there's been talk about whether or not this gets released this year. But whatever year it does get released, I think it could easily get in. And that's Maestro. Yes. I think I think that's a biopic about uh, somebody who's iconic, but not too iconic to where it would be like Elvis. Um and it's also kind of got that um, it's like a biopic about somebody who has like internal struggles, which Leonard Bernstein did. So that definitely is like the movie that they would go for. And hopefully it delivers a good Bradley Cooper performance and he can get in because I was going he still to, needs an Oscar. I was going and to I'd say love to see him win for Leonard Bernstein. I love I, I am so excited for my show. The best mm-hmm. thing Bradley Cooper can do is hold it till next year because there is no way, in my opinion, unless he gives like an all timer, that he will probably be either Brendan or Hugh next year. I think mm. he needs to go in with like the wait, o- Brendan Fraser for the whale. Okay, that's yeah, my that's my year that. that's my year in advance winner right now. I think okay, I think they're going to write the wrong of Mickey Rourke in two thousand eight because that him not winning for the wrestler is a absolute travesty yeah. uh yeah and then my year in advance for acting i have margo actress i have hugh i mean brendan actor michelle williams supporting actress and i don't know where to go for supporting actor i think it's still uh, i've read that brad pitt is supporting in babylon so that could be somewhere to go, but I I I don't know. He, he's he's been going supporting all these re- years recently because yeah. he, he maybe should have been lead in Hollywood, but if it means he gets his Oscar, go for it. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that that wraps up all the news. Before we get into the Godfather, uh, let's get into some of the stuff we watched this week. Um, do you, actually because I know what you have, so I am going to. <laughs> I want to talk about that in a second. So, uh, we talked about the Lawnmower Man last week. I, I did finish the sequel, and it is, <laughs> it is not the good that I. It's not the bad that I like. It is just mm-hmm. not. It's just terrible. Yeah. Um, I also saw uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent, the Nicholas Cage. Oh movie. yeah, it's the funniest. It's the funniest movie of the year. Mm, there exciting. is, there is a joke that you will get as a cinephile, and guys like our crew will get, and it okay. is. Being at a press screening with critics and and like just casuals, when that joke popped up, everyone started laughing and clapping because of like it was so inside. It is extremely inside, but you will get it, and I think you will probably find it the funniest joke in the movie. Uh, their chemistry, Pascal and Nicolas Cage. I need a buddy cop film like ASAP. They are like incredibly hilarious together. Um, I also saw The Secrets of Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And that is the best of the Fantastic B series, like by a mile. Uh, it's actually interesting. Uh, there's a lot of, I wouldn't say character development. But there's more stakes in this than the other ones. Uh, still too long. There's no reason this should be two hours and twenty 
uh, I think 20 minutes should not yeah. be that long. Uh, but it is funny. It has a lot of heart. I do like this a lot. Uh, I mentioned the penis before. Uh, deserving win for Adrian Brody. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that they weren't going to do anything with gangs in New York, so I figured I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with that win. Then I saw Turns of Endearment for the first time. Uh, I like that movie. I liked it a lot. Like I, I have no problem with the win. Um, I have a problem with Shirley MacLaine winning, but that was a career Oscar. I think. Mm-hmm. I think it should have gone the other way around. I don't know what you think there. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I agree. I like Shirley MacLaine a lot, and I like her in this movie, but I don't know if I would have given her the Oscar for it. So. Yeah, I think Deborah Winger should have definitely been mm-hmm. the one to take it from there. Yeah, but you know, they 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 messed up. Did they mess up with the apartment? They did mess up with the apartment, right? Um, or who else? No. I, who won that year? I forgot. Sixty. Uh, I'm not sure. I know apartment one. I think it got picture director screenplay, and then maybe like art direction or something like that. I know Jack Lemmon didn't win, which is I don't an, even, I'm not even sure if Shirley MacLaine was nominated. So, which is yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fred McMurray should have been there too. I think he should have won. Yeah, yeah, so, I can agree with that. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor won actress for Butterfield Eight in 1961. Yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm not, not sure about that one. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um but yeah, uh that then I saw Ordinary People. <laughs> oh, my, here we go. As my last one. In a world we live in where raging bull exists, there is there is nothing in this movie that made me say this is better than Raging Bull. And, and I think listen, I'm going to Say this is more blasphemous than Dances with Wolves because Dances with <laughs> Wolves I like a lot more than I like Ordinary People. Mm-hmm. Um, I may be on an island of my own there, but I think Dances with Wolves is a better achievement than Ordinary People. Ordinary People feels like the movie that gets dumped on Netflix today and no one pays attention to after a week. I mm-hmm. just it, 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 Timothy Hutton's really good in it. Yeah, yeah, I, I he he's easily the highlight for me in the movie. I but as as an overall film, I. I could give or take. I don't, you know, shout out to whoever loves it, but I, it's just yeah. not something that it's I, Tristan, I think it's Tristan's favorite movie of all time. I, yeah, <laughs> Oh man, that's a, it, it's not a bad movie. It's just yeah, yeah. like, yeah, not a best picture winner, but yeah, that, I didn't see that much, but what about you, Jack? What do you got? Uh, not a lot for me either. Uh, the first one was, uh, I watched mommy dearest, which is, um, it's a movie about Joan Crawford, and uh, her abusive relationship with her daughter. Uh, my friend Travis introduced me to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Faye Dunaway plays Joan Crawford, and this movie actually won a few Razzies. It's pretty, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's pretty memorable for being campy, which like I I can certainly appreciate campiness, but the the movie just kind of lacked any direction. So like whenever there is a scene of like. Faye Dunaway like screaming at like her child it was just like it it was just almost there just like for the sake of it and like there wasn't anything else like going on in the background Mm -hmm. um I I thought she was pretty good but by her being the best actress in that movie that also means that like everybody that's not her is like worse than her (laughs) um then I watched Kroll and the Beastmaster I've been on a bit of a sword and sorcery kick Mm -hmm. recently um 
just like 80s horror, it's a genre that I love. The cheesier it is. Um, they, they were both fun. Uh, Crawl especially is just over-the-top cheesy. Um, and then, of course, the one that I've mentioned to you, Reanimator. <sighs> I, I, I have I have like before you give your take, I have some questions that I'm going to ask you to okay. s- to see if you figure if I, I'm sure you caught on to some stuff, but what are your what are your thoughts on that brilliant, brilliant movie? So I first heard about it in American Beauty because they talk about the scene where um where the severed head is going down on the curb. Oh yeah, that is uh, uh that is something. Yeah, and I, I completely forgot about, like, I remember they mentioned it, but I forgot about what they were, like, talking about in the movie. And then that happens, and I'm like, oh, that's exactly what they were talking about. Uh, <laughs> I I really liked Jeffrey Combs. I Same felt here. like, I honestly feel like that's kind of, like, he kind of feels like a store brand Rick Moranis in a way. That seems <laughs> like a role that Rick Moranis would play. Um, and the other thing I noticed, uh, did I don't know how long it's been since you've watched it, but the music is really similar to Psycho. There you go. Yep, that's, that was <laughs> what I was going to ask you. I, I was just listening, and I, like, I, I'm really good with like movie music, especially when I like like it, because I can just like pick up like the notes and all that stuff in my head, and I hear like the I'm like, wait a second, that's freaking Psycho. It's been uh, confirmed too that it is. They purposely ripped it off. Okay. Yeah. Um, and. Well, actually, I've got two scenes that I really like. I want to mention the first one is the morgue when uh when Halsey gets crushed by the door. <laughs> that, that that scene was awesome. Uh, and then I also really liked kind of the vague. Well, here here's what was funny. I like the vague like kind of fate of uh of West, but I didn't know there was a sequel until you mentioned it, and I was like, all right, so then I guess he's alive now. <laughs> there are. Th- two current sequels called Bride of the Reanimator and Beyond Reanimator who is both of them directed by Brian Uzuna who directed Society. Society, yep. Yes. Bride of the, Re- the names and I rec- I recognize the name Uzuna. I was like how do I know this name? Bride is not it's not I'm it's not even bad good. It's just there. Uh I've actually never seen Beyond Reanimator, but there's a apparently there is a another one coming out called Curse of the Reanimator. Uh, I, I like that they're taking the same lineage pretty much with like the Frankenstein movies. Yes. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because um, shout out to Cinemassacre. Uh, mm-hmm. We spoke about this channel a couple of years ago. They did a uh, a review of the Halloween series and Halloween four, five and six follow the same path as the Pink yep. Panther movies with the re- yes. return, the revenge <laughs> and the curse, which I thought that was a really fun That's Easter so egg. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a, uh, I'm glad I'm glad you liked it. There is so much so much more 80s horror that I we can uh share with you. So looking forward to your journey into some of the best and worst of the of the 80s. Yeah. Um uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, that's all I got to say. I I have had that on DVD. I've been meaning to watch it. I just don't I just never do it. It so is, I got to get on that. It's hilarious. I have a abs- it is they purposely have really bad. I mean, I guess not purposely. They did the best they could, but the effects in that movie are just really bad. Yeah, but it's such a fun film. I, I think it. I think you'd actually get a kick out of it. Um, but yeah, that wraps up everything we watched. Now let's get into why we are here. The two of the three greatest films of all time, I think. Um, 
But the one I want to talk about just to give our general thoughts are is The Godfather, which turns 50 years old. Uh, actually did like a few weeks ago. Uh, so Jack, what are your th- first thoughts when you first saw the movie and were you, how you, how old were you? Just curious. Okay. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a story. Go for it. <laughs> so I, I've always been a big movie fan my whole life. Like it's kind of just like evolved with age. So like when I was six, like I was like a big nerd about like veggie tales and that kind of stuff. <laughs> when I was like 10, I was like a big nerd about like star Wars and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when I was homeschooled at 13, I was at the library and I got like one of those just like kind of generic, like essential movie books. Um, I can't remember what it was called specifically. I tried looking for it last night. I couldn't find it, but that kind of ended up being like my guide into like quote unquote cinema. Uh, cause that book was what led me to 2001 Pulp Fiction, Alien, Goodfellas and The Godfather. Three of those are still in my top 20. Um, So I read about The Godfather and I go to... I'm at Half Price Books one day with my stepdad. I'm going (laughs) to the movie section and I see it. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, where is my stepdad? Because he was kind of like anti-R-rated movie. But I don't care about that. Uh, (laughs) So I'm like, where is he? I see he's not around. So I go and I buy it. It was like $7, which like at 13 like that kind of was like half my net worth at the time. So I I bought it and then I went home and watched it. Like I watched it all just like sitting there and I was just like, I was so blown away. It was the first time in a movie where I was really like the dialogue is like what I am here for. Cause like star Wars, you know, like the visual effects and the music and all that kind of stuff. But it was the first time that I was really able to notice like acting and like decisions that were being made in a movie And I truly think that if it wasn't for seeing that movie, I probably wouldn't be like in the League of Cinephiles and all that stuff. I don't think it would have sent me on a completely different trajectory. So I have the most important movie I've seen in my life. I have a similar story. I also my bankroll was probably the same as yours at the time. (laughs) Um, I had started in the first gangster film i ever saw was scarface same and same i yeah. became <laughs> extremely obsessed with it and i decided to tackle every single gangster mafia film re- ever released that was popular so i went to the video store yes the video store that you know wonderful thing that i used to go to every friday night and pick out a movie to watch and then the first thing that attracted me to the godfather was the fact that it was two tapes Mm-hmm. Uh, so rented it and I was under the same path that I saw it and I started looking at things a little differently I'm like wow the words that they're saying are so much better than some other words and other movies that I've seen and I realized that it was something special for me in terms of quality because I went back and talked to friends that were not into film that much and I said hey I saw The Godfather and, and immediately they were like oh that's really boring because that's around the time he used to play on AMC a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, no, it's not boring. And then I kind of try to break down whatever a young kid could break down from the movie. And I realized then that I thought a little bit differently about this stuff. And then I progressed into Godfather 2 and then, you know, move on from there. But like I like you, it's probably the or one of the most important films I've ever seen for the specific reason, the trajectory it took me on. Um 
And I've seen this movie 30, 40 times in the last like 30 years. Not 30 years, maybe like 25 years. And it's still, I mean, it, it, it's not a movie that ever, ever has ever felt three hours. Same with the yep, sequel. Yep, it's yep. never felt three hours. I know, I know every important point that this movie hits, mm-hmm. and I know how. I know how much it's a movie that I know how long is left by certain moments in the movie. Yep. A lot of movies don't do that, and that just shows that you don't really think about like looking at the time. You just know by specific scenes in the movie where we're at lengthwise and we don't give a shit we just yeah still, like we're still all in for it it's also one of the most rewatchable movies you can yep. literally start at any point and just go from there i also wanted to add uh well, well i'll go ahead and tack on to that because like you said it's rewatchable it's just straight up one of my comfort movies mm-hmm. uh it's interesting because my my ratios for the godfather trilogy is really interesting because godfather one i saw it i instantly loved it uh so i've seen that like in the last like nine years i've probably seen it like 20 times because i always show it to people i always like try to watch it at christmas all that kind of stuff uh godfather 2 took a little bit longer for me to really get into i liked it at first but i mean i think we can both agree that it's a more difficult movie Mm, and it's a more complicated movie so that's definitely one that has gotten better with age um and then part three i've only seen twice (laughs) um so i i think godfather one is just for me, it's one of the most infinitely rewatchable movie. And it's a movie that I just have really good memories with. Like you said, it was it's a movie that you can turn on at any point and just get stuck the rest of the way through. Uh, I was at Thanksgiving uh, back. I was like 15 or so. And like some of the family, we were just flipping channels. And then we come to The Godfather on AMC and it's right as Michael's sitting in the bench at the garden. Yes, that's and a great er- scene. Ev- everybody just goes like, stop. Like, we're watching this. And so I, I get to watch, like, the next, like, 45 minutes of The Godfather with my family. And it was the first time I watched it with somebody else, actually. So I was just like, this is awesome. I It's funny you mentioned, too, because that's a similar experience to the first time I saw, too. I hadn't... I, obviously, I'm, like, young, so I'm challenging myself here. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. Is that little kid Anthony Corleone? Is that... Like I didn't know about the, the dual storylines. Mm-hmm. It was obviously I picked up on it by middle of the movie, but that movie—I don't think a movie has gotten better for me more than Godfather Two. Like Godfather Two is my favorite film of all time. It's also, I guess, because it was the most challenging film that I saw at an early age. I guess that's why I have more respect for it. And I yeah. ju- and I just love Fredo so, and we're going to talk about him in a little bit. Mm-hmm. I just love him so much in this movie that it's impossible for me not to like have this movie and plus Pacino is my favorite performance of all time and too so uh yeah we'll get to all that a little later but yeah we did something special rather than celebrating just the 50th anniversary here we're celebrating the entire trilogy we're obviously going to be talking about one and two a lot we are going to be talking about three so which is which is the good thing uh, we have compiled a list of our favorite characters, or at least favorite characters, and our top 10 moments and worst moments in the entire trilogy. We're going to leave moments for last, because I think that's where we're going to have the most fun, because we're probably going to differ, and maybe we'll say scenes that'll make us say, oh, damn it, how, how come I didn't put that in it? Which, that'll be really fun. Um, for this one, I want to do worst last, because I think that's going to be the most where we differ, and we'll start with best characters first. So I'll start here 
And for number five, I had a hard time here. For 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 which category? Best characters. Oh, we did five best characters. Oh, you did ten. Yeah, I did ten. <laughs> oh, you did ten. Then why don't you go first, and I'll add five more to my list. Go for oh, it. Okay. All right. So you want me to just do ten through six? Yeah, to ten, right. ten through six, right. and talk a, l- a little bit about them. All right. Yeah. Sure. So number ten, I've got Hyman Roth. My guy. Uh, yes. I, Hyman Roth. Uh, you're gonna hear more about him when we get to my favorite scenes. But uh, well, actually, I'm gonna throw a quick honorable mention to um, Tessio. Tessio is one of my favorite favorite side characters from the first one. He didn't have a whole lot to do, but whenever he was on whenever he was on screen, I just loved what he was saying. He had the uh, he he gets the Sicilian message. Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes line. Obviously classic. Uh, One of the one of the one of my fondest memories when I first watched it. uh, There were moments when like everything like something clicked for me, and I was like, oh, that was when he was like. Maybe there's a way to tape the gun behind the toilet, mm-hmm. and like thirteen year old me was like, "Oh, you should do that." Uh, <laughs> um, number nine, uh, Mama Corleone. Oh, nice! I'm glad you I, gave I, her some love. Yeah, I, every scene she's in, especially in two, when she has that talk by the fire by the by the fireplace with Michael, um, that's just a really beautiful moment. Uh, number eight, I think this character is a little overhated and gets a little bit too much hate. Kay Adams Corleone. <laughs> oh, I'm, I, I'm going to talk about her later and not in this yeah. area. <laughs> I, I, I think that, um, I, I think that while her involved, while like her role in three is cut and is kind of, eh, but what Diane, why, what Diane Keaton is doing in all these movies is really good. And I'm really stunned that she didn't get an Oscar nomination for any of these, particularly two, maybe, but, Talia Shire did get in, which is also cool. Uh, number seven, maybe a little bit of a controversial take for the placement. Sonny Corleone. That's he's not that much uh, lower than than I'm. I have okay. him a little low okay. too. Cool. Yeah. I, I I mean I really like Sonny, but I just have characters that I prefer. And then number six, I know we talked about this guy, both in this movie. And as somebody who kind of reminds us of this character in a recent movie. Yes. Yes. Chichi Avanto. Every line that Frank Pantangeli has is home run grand slam. And to think, and we're going to talk, I'm going to talk about him a little bit in, in a second, but to think he replaced, the only reason he was there is because Clemenza, I forgot his name, uh, refused to come back, which yeah. is which is crazy it worked out even better because i don't think clemenza's arc in two would have been as good as pantangeli's was here in two so i i am with you um yeah that's great so i i i have a hot take i don't know okay. I, I don't know where this guy is for you or maybe he's not even on the list for you so my number 10 uh, i want clemenza I've not talked about him yet. Okay, yeah. So he, I, I, a little bit of a hot take. I think he's fantastic. He has. So my favorite scenes with Clemenza are when he's talking to. It's a little bit of a hybrid in one where he's showing Michael how to shoot the gun, and when he's showing him how to make pasta. I think those yeah, are my favorites. Yeah. Obviously, mm-hmm. the leave the gun, take the cannoli is the iconic line, but I like the subtle moments in that. And I think Bruno Kirby in two is fantastic in as, as Clemenza, uh, especially the my favorite scene in that one is when they're trying to steal the rug. Yep. Uh, 
top three shot of the movie for me. Probably. Yes, with the gun. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm with you 100% there. Yeah. Uh, my number nine, uh, this one I don't think made your list, but I just think he's a fan- I think he was a fantastic villain for the first half of One Salazzo. Yeah, he was almost up there. Yeah, yeah so I-, I think with Salazzo, I don't think he gets enough credit for being such a really good villain in the first half of the movie because he sets in motion the downfall. And then we're talking about characters here, not performances. If we're going to yeah. perform, he wouldn't be in my 10. But as a character, I think he lays the foundation for the downfall of Corleone, of Michael Corleone, because if it wasn't for him doing what he did to Vito, we never get Michael's down- turn to the dark side, if you want to call it that, in in one and I think also just his first scene where he completely changes his, what's the word I'm looking for, demeanor mm-hmm. from when he first meets with Vito than when he meets with, when he kidnaps Tom Hagen. It feels like the, the switch is snapped and he knows that he has to play the, he has to be the bad guy here. He can't try to play it straight with Vito and the Corleones anymore. So I thought he was excellent in that. Watch, watch his face. During uh during the veto meeting scene when mm-hmm. Sonny when Sonny shows interest in that deal he kind of has like a ah kind of look to himself and that's rewatching that's when I'm like okay this is when he starts to put the pieces together of how he can get the Corleones yes because I think you you nailed it there because I think that's the reason he went to kill Vito because if he knew he killed Vito he could probably get the deal done with Sonny and yeah. and, and in retrospect I think if we we're looking at business wise I think Vito made the wrong choice where we go and i say that because of where we are in three when joey zaza is literally putting drugs on the street mm-hmm. the corleone could have probably held it stayed in higher regard with new york the new york crime families if they did go into the drug industry which eventually they never do um and, but, and that's and that's pretty much what tom hagan is telling him before that meeting starts he's like if we don't do it now we could regret it not now but in like 10 years and they did which is yeah. which is I love how, listen, man, we're, we're, this is not a disparaged three podcast. We're actually going to talk about in a, in a nice way, but just like that arc of like him being right and Coppola paying that off is fantastic. Uh, number eight is also Mama Corleone because, uh, well, I had had her at nine, but yeah, but her being on my list was probably surprised many, but you use the exact scene, the scene with her and Michael in two where she is telling him like a man can never lose his family. It's heartwarming and heart-wrenching at the same time because, yep. like, you completely understand her intentions and what she's saying makes complete sense. But, like, you just know that, like, what she's saying is just, like, not applicable to his situation at all. Because so. in retrospect, I think what works so well in that scene is because you're right in what her intentions are, but Mike already knows he's lost his family. Mm-hmm. So it's just like duality there just works so well. My number seven is Hyman Roth. Uh, piggybacking off a lot of what you said, I think he has... Some of the best scenes in two, maybe one's in my 10, maybe not. But the one that is not in my 10 is the first time that they meet in the house when they're watching the football game. Mm -hmm. And you could tell, and this is what makes Michael like the best poker player ever. He is absolutely trying to get everything out of him there. And he pretty much knows Hyman Roth is responsible for everything after that scene. But the back and forth, and Lee Strasberg deserved that nomination. Like, I, we've talked about this. The five of them, it should have just been five. Like, the Godfather uh, yeah. should have just had all five. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's fantastic in the performance. And I also think, can you, it's, it's terrible for me to say, heartbreaking into his char- character? Yeah. 
yeah, I. Maybe it, I'm just it, being it, too. I'm I'm being too kind to to evil people. <laughs> well, uh, well, well, welcome to the theme of the movie. Everybody's evil. It's just yeah. a matter of whose sides do you pick. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean Hyman Roth. Each time I rewatch that movie, I just I just grab more of how much of a genius he really is yep. in terms of his whole o- overlaying scheme. And I think that's really the biggest thing that makes Godfather Two hard to digest in one sitting or in on the first go because and there's I, so. Much and, and with Hyman, you're right about being a genius because I actually think he almost wins because the Pantangeli thing is brilliant. And mm-hmm. obviously that's what makes Godfather something you have to rewatch. The first time I saw it, I'm like, wait a minute, is Pantangeli really going to rat them out? And I'm like, no, wait a minute, he's ratting them out because Hyman Roth made the Rosado Brothers thing, make him think that Corleone was trying to kill him, which is, I'm like, come on, man. It's like, it's so layered. Perfect stuff, man. Anyone, anyone yeah. that, oh my god, it's so perfect. And then my number six is Sonny, kind of on the same trajectory as you. Yeah. I think Sonny's great. I think Sonny, Sonny's someone that I think you can take in doses as a character. There's some moments mm-hmm. that I really like him, and there's some moments I don't. Um, I agree with Vito in that scene where he pretty much butts in. I'm like, don't play your hand, man. That's not that's. That's not what you do in these certain situations. As a character, I think that's a down. Mo- that's a really bad moment. I don't like the scene. Also, as a character, where he pretty much talks down Tom Hagen, he's like, "Papa had Jenko. Look what I have." I've got a question for you because uh, one of the podcasts I listened to, the Cinephiles, they did like a three-part deep dive onto the Godfather, like scene by scene, and they had an interesting conversation. What do you think about Sonny as boss? How do you think he would have done in the long run? Because I think I, I think had the same events played out in like one and two, I think Sonny might have forgiven Fredo. I think he would have been mad as hell, but I think he would have. I think he would have eventually understood where he was coming from and that he was just straight up like manipulated. Mentally. I don't think we get there if Sonny is boss. I think Sonny will be more open to deals that were untraditional to the family. I also don't think Sonny is as smart as Michael. That's true. So I don't think there's any way that Sonny... Others would be... It would be easier for others to manipulate Sonny as opposed to Michael. No one's manipulating Michael. Michael's in charge. Michael's also just too paranoid. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) But I also think on the long run, if we look at Sonny making a deal with Salazzo, maybe we don't even get the five families never get killed. The The leaders of the five families never get killed like Starachi and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so we never may not, we never get there, but I don't, it's, it's a slippery slope. I don't think, yeah. I think the Corleone stay intact, but I don't think they do it in a way that Vita would have approved. Yeah. Um, but I think Sonny as a, in the few moments we saw him, I think we can label him a bad Don because of Vito, what Vito does as Don. It's a little mm-hmm. bit like it's such a, 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 a contrast in personalities that you can't really say, you know, Sonny's a lesser Don than Vito, I guess. But yeah. I, I don't I it's there's good and bad to it. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think he's one of the most intriguing characters in the franchise. Um but yeah, not in my top five. Uh, I will do my five through two so we can go in snake order here. Um, my number five is Tom Hagen. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, there's everything about Robert Duvall in one and two are, 
are incredible for me because I think he has the most subtle and most difficult performance of them all because I think he always has to play Switzerland. He always has to play the grounded. It doesn't matter if someone's going to talk down to me. I can never show my true emotions. And I think he, because of that, he like, I'm going to use a few scenes as an example. Literally the first scene in Hollywood where, uh, He's being talked down to, and he just literally shakes his hand. He's like, you know, thank you for your time. And then he walks away. And then going back to the house, again, mm-hmm. he's being talked down to. He's like, thank you for a very ha- thank you for a lovely dinner and have a pleasant evening. And then we get to the horse scene. Then in two, when he actually becomes a Don, which a lot of – that's a great trivia question to give. Shout out to uh, Helmer. Think of this one. Um, the fact that if we look at it, like, he – outside of Vito, Vincent, and Michael – he is the only other person to be the Don of the family in in the Godfather oh. franchise. Because remember, when Michael goes away, he's like, you're going to be the yep. Don. So mm-hmm. looking at it at that. Um, and I think what puts him in my top five is the, the fact that he's not in three and how sorely he is missed as a character mm-hmm. in three. I believe he's the moral compass of the entire trilogy. And him not being in three just shows how important he is as a character to the entire trilogy. And that's how, why he makes it into my top five. And then Number four to one are the big, the heavy hitters for me. Frank Pantangeli is my number four. I mean, uh, yeah. that guy, and, and it goes into <laughs> the impressive nature of his performance as a character. The fact that he was not even supposed to be a character in this, in Godfather 2, and what he does with this role is just so incredible for me. Uh, I would say if we're looking at like what scenes stick out, uh, we can make fun of the Chi Chi Abordo. Um, but I really, really like his mannerisms when he sees his brother oh, walk yeah. in. Mm-hmm. His, com- I feel like at that moment he's like, "I'm a snitch. I'm a rat. Like I can't do this. I cannot do this." And then boom, he switches his tone. And then the conversation that he has with Tom Hagen, that I will oh, talk man. about favorite scenes in a little bit. Um, yeah. that scene pretty much touches on what the Corleone's family was and what the Corleone family is at the end of part two. Uh, Everything about Pantangeli works for me in that. Um, My number three is Fredo. Yeah. I, listen, listen, (laughs) I... I don't care what anyone thinks what I'm about to say. I hope, I hope me and you are somewhat in agreement here. I don't think... Fredo's is one of the most heartbreaking characters in the history of film. Yep, I agree. I there, agree completely. His death hits me harder every single time I watch two. And every single time I watch two, I always hope that maybe 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 there's an edited there's a there's a new version of this coming that in my on my rewatch that's that that Michael's not gonna kill him. And I think, like you said, he was manipulated. And he was easily manipulated because he was always he was always the brother that was just put to the side. He was never taken serious. He was never someone that was ever looked at as he's going to be the Don one day. Another Mm -hmm. tragic thing with Fredo is that I watching the Godfather two as many times. I don't think he he was told that they were going to kill him. Yes, I I I I, when he says uh, he didn't know it was going to be a hit in the. uh... In the boathouse scene, mm-hmm. I I truly think he's telling the truth. I agree. I agree. That yeah. scene, 
the choices that are made more, in that more scene. on that later yes okay <laughs> i i i purposely did not put it in because i had a feeling i have too many two scenes in there and i had to remove it mm-hmm. but what i'll say on my piece on that is that the way he's sitting in that scene you'll talk about that later yep. i assume i if robert de niro did not exist and was not alive actually cuz they didn't even get nominated for two which is like a fucking blasphemy I think he, I, if De Niro wasn't alive, Kazale performance in that is unbelievable. I, I, and the most heartbreaking character in the entire franchise. I, I don't know, man. There's, we, I could talk about Fredo as so for all day because I just love him so much as a character. And I've argued, literally argued with people that I, I, and I say, I don't think he should have been murdered. One, that's his brother. Two, mm-hmm. we talked about, how gullible he was look at what mo green was doing with him at the end of one he pretty much was his puppet and yeah fredo is just one of the best characters of all time and the most tragic uh number two is Vito. um mm-hmm. but godfather one and two we got to put everything together as yeah, a whole yeah. package um de niro's performance is one of my favorite performances of all time but i also think the character as a whole you do see that i think he is a good person and I think he's kind of forced into doing what he was doing. Michael, on the other hand, I think is not a good person. And mm-hmm. we'll get to that in obviously in a little bit. Um, I think Brando's incredible in the in the role, but I think the duality of seeing the rise of Vito doing what he's doing, not just for himself, but for the the community, because he was able to get rid of this Don that was pretty much hustling every business in the area during the time. And he did it Yes, to benefit himself, but he also benefited the community. Um, there's, I mean, there's so many scenes we could talk about with Vito. Yeah. Uh, the only one I'm going to mention because we've been on, on, we can get to you here, is very subtle scene, but the scene when he's already picking up like a great reputation in the community and in two with the dog and with the with the landlord. I think the scene is hilarious. <laughs> And when he follows through and goes back and he can't even open the door to leave, yep. I think yeah. that scene is just really, really funny. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's my six, my five through two. Yeah, all right. So number five for me, you had this one lower on your list. I completely get it, but this is just one that, just one of my favorite characters I love from the first time I watched it. And each time I rewatch it, I just love, I just love him more and more. That's Peter Clemenza. Yes. Uh yeah, like you said, I mean, leave the gun, take the cannoli. That's awesome and all, but I mean, you got the meatball scene, you got the, uh, you got him showing off the gun, and like you said, it's interesting that uh, he ended up being replaced with uh, with Pantangeli in the second movie because it's funny that they both kind of have that interest in history. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Pantangeli's talking about the Roman emperors and all that stuff, and uh, Clemens is talking about hitler and munich and all that stuff um number four is fredo same logic as you adore fredo each time i rewatch the movie i i just feel more and more bad for him uh one moment that's not on my scenes list uh that i want to highlight here is uh him is him and michael at the bar in two when they're talking and he Mm, almost mm -hmm. I, i think he almost tells him 
I think he almost tells him at that moment, but then he cuts himself off and is like, why didn't we have moments like this before? Yep, that scene, um, I was going to talk about it with Michael, but I'll, I'll since you brought it up, I'll, I'll bring it up now. That scene works in so many ways because I think Michael suspects Fredo is guilty. Uh-huh. And I think that's the reason he brings him to Cuba. That's because he, he easily could have had that money wired over. Yeah. That's the reason he brings him to Cuba because he wants to, he wants to look at him in the face. And that scene works so well because if you pay attention to Michael, he is studying Fredo at every piece of that conversation. And while Fredo's looking at it as like a heart to heart with his brother, Michael is looking at it as like he's interrogating. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that scene works so well. But yeah. Fredo's like a goat. By the way, everything new, everything is a decision, and in these movies that I feel this for a purpose. Fredo with a mustache for some reason I feel like is purposeful, and I don't know. I can't. I really, <laughs> I really don't know why. But the fact that he shaves it off at his most harm at most hopeless moments, I think, kind of shows something. I I I've been trying. I've I've trying to figure this out for the years that's a really I, interesting, that's a really interesting point if i've you, actually thought about if that. you notice like when he when he's at his most confidence confident in part two outside of the issues with his wife he has a stash like he mm-hmm. has this persona about him as soon as you know i know it was you fredo we get to a very frail fredo shaves off the stash and he's like you know his body his demeanor changes uh not that has to i feel like that's on purpose yeah Number three for me is Tom Hagen. Oh, nice! I when you when you reacted to, it, I thought you didn't have him on your list. Yeah, uh, no, I I freaking love Tom Hagen. Uh, like you mentioned, I think him not being in three is probably I think the worst misplay of the movie. I think mm-hmm. like like you said, he's just the perfect foil to Michael, and the perfect uh, opposite to him. That the movie really just doesn't work without him and. I think it's also a really nice treat to see to see Robert Duvall become Robert Duvall in those in some moments because mm-hmm. we we were gonna know him as like Apocalypse Now uh, like screaming loud and all that stuff so when he gets to turn it on like at the courtroom when he's like you owe my client an, an apology. apology yeah yeah like it, it's so awesome uh, and then yeah <laughs> our, our top two is the exact same number two I've got Vito each time I rewatch. Part one and part two, I just completely further my opinion of Vito is such a good guy and Michael is so not, despite both of them having the same job. And yeah, I mean, and then Michael, I guess, I mean, yeah, so Michael, I'll, I'll I'll let you talk, Michael, first. Yeah, so I mean, Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, up there, if not the best performance of all time, in my opinion, in part two. I think part one, he is also just as good. And even part three, the fact that he wasn't up for that Oscar. Preach. Preach, my friend. Kind of absurd. Although I don't, although I don't love his performance because it's interesting to think about like after this movie, I think is really when we start to enter the Pacino that most people know. I I think we saw, we saw bits of pieces of it in Scarface. Yes. Once we hit part three, he kind of had a duality of both. And it was inter- I was rewatching some scenes from part three the other day, and it was the scene he was lashing out at. I think it was K. I but command he, this family. That he, one. Yeah, I, I yeah. He has a similar reaction to like uh, 
like Robert De Niro when he's cussing out the guy, the when he's like cussing out Palantine in the cab when he's kind of like like takes himself back and like kind of is like, dang, I just like let myself loose. Like he kind of had one of those moments in part three, mm-hmm. which I actually really liked because um, I don't think he really had much of those moments in one and two where he like lashes out and is like, okay, I need to like reel back because all the other times in one and two, he's probably at his most hostile. Yeah, I agree. I think, but you kind of, you pretty much nailed that. I think but Michael obviously has the best arc out of every, anyone in the, in the trilogy of where you are, because I think, and what works with three at the end so well is that everyone that he's killed, I, he feels like he has reason for doing what he does. And he never, ever paid any consequences consequences for anything that he did until that very moment at the end of 3. Everything mm-hmm. he did. And at the end of the day, if you really look at it, some of the stuff that happened at the end of 3 really wasn't his making. Mm-hmm. And the fact that despite the fact he's no longer Don, when he's no longer Don is when he loses what he loves the most. Because let's be honest with you, he marries his favorite kid. <laughs> Like, yeah, I yeah. give two shits about Anthony and my yeah. my personal. Go be, go be go be a fucking officer. Yeah, I'll try. Oh, we're gonna <laughs> talk about him in a second. Um, yeah, I mean everything we, you mentioned. Pacino's performance in two is my favorite of all time. I think it's the greatest performance ever on on film, and we've seen thousands of movies. Nothing has ever touched. I don't think anything will ever touch what Pacino does in two. Uh, and then yeah. I mean, you kind of nailed everything with Michael. Now let's. There's some more small stuff I'll I'll get into when we talk about this. That's why I'm trying to like hold that too. Yeah. Uh, all right. So worst character. <laughs> Here oh, we go. All right. I'll start this one off. Um, I have ties here because it, some of these people have to be talked about in the same mm-hmm. context. My number five is where I have Anthony and Mary Corleone in Godfather Three. I don't have Anthony. I. I don't have Anthony, but that's funny. Anthony I, I, Corleone. I but, but I completely get it. You yeah. nailed. You started me off with the Anthony Corleone. Like, go fucking be an opera singer. <laughs> Listen, my biggest issue with him as a character is like, you don't want to be in the in the family business. Fine, I, I'm cool with that. That yeah, whatever. You literally have like a semester left of your law degree. Finish the fucking law degree, <laughs> then go fucking be an opera singer. Yeah, that's kind of like my biggest beef. And he has this. <laughs> and listen, like what we what Michael does to Fredo is unforgivable. Do not get me wrong. Anthony, you didn't know fucking Fredo like that. You were like seven years old when Fredo died. <laughs> Don't act like you haven't forgiven your father for this, because one, it's an assumption because no one really knows what happens to Fredo except Michael. And uh, was it Rocco or Al Neri that did it? It was Rocco, right? I thought, I thought it was Al Neri. It was Al Neri? He, 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 looks, he looks at Al Neri at the funeral. At the hugs. funeral, yep. You're yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, but Mary is just, for Mary, it's more on the, not the performance, because like we spoke about, this is not about the performance, it's about the character. Decisions that she makes throughout, which also leads to my worst moments in the the franchise, which we'll get to later. I don't think her character decisions were very um par with what a Corleone does and I think it leads to yes she has a very emotional moment at the end but I don't feel like it's fully earned because she's not a very likable character Yeah, the moment with Michael is earned but the moment with her 
isn't because she's not a likable character. There's no traits in the movie that I think are like, yeah, I can root for this character. Uh, mm-hmm. Number four is um, Carlo Carlo Rizzi. And, <laughs> I almost put him on mine. Almost put him on mine. And Senator Geary. <laughs> yeah, I, I I kicked Geary. I kicked Geary for somebody else. I think I, I, I was doing some last minute edits because he was um um more of a pawn. That's why Geary's not higher on my list. Mm-hmm. But I think he's just not a very likable character. And I and the fact that he's in like two or three scenes and the scene the scene that rubs me the wrong way the most is the one at the end during the hearing when he just mm-hmm. like excuses himself from it. I yeah, I was just kind of weird. And Carlo, I mean, anyone anyone that does has domestic abuse is not going to be. Yeah, he's yeah. just a piece of shit the entire movie. And when, um, what was I going to say about? I, I I didn't I took him off mine, so I wanted to mention about Senator Geary. He reminds me of the character in The Dark Knight. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Coleman Reese. Yes, yes. He tries to blackmail him, and I'm just like, you're really just gonna do that? And you think that's gonna go well for you? Good luck. Love that scene when Michael's like, you can have my answer now if you'd like, Senator. <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh man, so good. And then um, number three is <laughs> here we go. <clears throat> K Corleone. Oh. Mm. All right, here we go. Okay. Aside from the end scene in part one, okay, Kay is the most annoying character in the entire series. I don't think that she adds anything to Michael's story outside of um, that scene in one. She also, as a character, has an abortion <laughs> for no reason. I do not... Listen... They could split up, and technically, she's pregnant while they're while they're um after they split up. No one says that Michael's gonna say, "Give me that kid." Mm-hmm. She could have the baby and keep the baby as her own, and she does, you know, whatever comes later on comes later on. But if we're looking at the character in the moment when you're making that decision, you're already deciding you're going to leave Michael. Why not just keep the baby? and move and go on your separate ways. I think it's one of the stupidest decisions a character makes. I do not I do not condone hitting because we talked about the Carlo yeah. on the domestic but Michael's anger in that scene is completely justified because it just doesn't make any sense for her as a character. As a mother when you already have two children that you know you're going to leave your husband, why do why are you having an abortion? That's kind of where I'm at there. I don't know if you disagree with that. Uh, yeah, what you're saying makes complete sense. I never really thought about it like that, but yeah, that that, that makes sense to me. And then we go to part three. Mm-hmm. As Anthony's mother, why are you co-signing him just not finishing the law? I, listen, this law degree really fucking sticks with me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like just, you, I understand you hate Michael, but you're parenting right now. You're not. Put your hatred towards this person aside. And I guess she did technically by uh, showing up at the ceremony. But like you got to like you got to side with Michael here. Let the guy finish the law degree and then you move on from there. Um, So I don't like Kay Corleone as a character outside of that one scene. I think her performance is very good. Like that's like night and day. I think she has a great performance. Uh, Number two is probably unfair. Um, Apollonia. (laughs) And. Arch- I... Archbishop Gildy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. More, on... yeah, more on him later. All right, so I'll save my thoughts on Gildy for when you bring him up. Um, I think. Well, Apple... well you you go you go ahead and bring him up. I, I don't have him on my characters list, but he is important 
for something later okay. on. So, so yeah. Apollonia for me, I just think that I just don't think I as a character, I think she's wasted. If we're looking at characters, I just think she's wasted. I think she is Michael's true love. And I mm-hmm. wish they would have explored that a little bit more. I kind of wish that she came with him to America to have and I think it probably would have led to a more interesting arc with Kay and him. If he comes back to America years later and he's married with this woman, I that's why she's so low on my list because I just think that she there was stuff that there was there was meat left on the table and I think they could have mm-hmm. explored her a little bit more. Archbishop Gildy's a completely different story. Yeah. <laughs> Archbishop Gildy is just 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 awful. And the fact that the only thing I remember from that movie is every time he says international immobile <laughs> is really just says a lot about the uselessness of this character and i guess he's the villain is he the villain i it, it's weird because like I, i'll touch on this a bit later because like i think another big misplay of part three is they killed off uh joey zaza so early yep i i think i think they could have if they had explored him a bit longer i think it might have been better but yeah all, i think all the villains that come into play in the later half of the movie just don't he would have honestly like with the era that the movie was made and you have guys like john Gotti like growing mm-hmm. in pristine and doing in the mafia i mean that's joey zaza like you could have really built that throughout the entire movie especially with like him and vincent like having it out uh but yeah that's my five through two my number there's no way you have my number one i just there's no yeah there's no way you have mine too mine, the, mine mine's i'll get to mine but <laughs> my number five um is mary corleone I mean, like we talked about, I'm not holding, I'm not holding Sophia Coppola like against it, because like the whole Winona Ryder, there were a bunch of other cast options that just like fell through. So she was really just doing the best she could. But like you said, um, it's just hard for me to get into that character. Um, number four, um, this one is a little interesting. Vincent Corleone. Interesting, yeah. That that's I, definitely interesting. I, I just felt like, like, yeah, he's Sonny's son, but, like, I never got, like, the full impression that he was, like, Sonny's son, because, like, there was, like, oh, he's, like, also mild-tempered, but, like, I just feel like he yells a lot. Like, whereas, like, with Sonny, I feel like yeah. you can also see a lot more of, like, internal issues and, like, internal rage, whereas, like, Andy Garcia is ending so many of his lines with an exclamation mark. <laughs> so... Not a huge fan of him. Number three for me, uh, like like I said, I kicked off Senator Geary, who was in the, my number three, but then I replaced him with Officer McCluskey. <laughs> from, yeah, from yeah. I mean, one of one of my just one of the dumbest lines in one is like they go to Louis's rest, Louis Italian restaurant. It's like, how's the Italian food in this place? It's like going to like Buffalo Wild Wings. Me, like, how's the American food here? <laughs> like, whatever. Uh, and number two, uh, like I mentioned about the misplay of killing Joey Zaza early, Don Altabello. Yeah, he pretty much sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I... Uh, more on him later. <laughs> more, more on him later when we get to the worst moments. I, ho- I uh, hope it's his death scene. It might be. It just <laughs> might be. Uh, and yeah, I just think that that was just a complete misplay. And he just does not have the same amount of dread that joey zaza has and i just also love joe mantegna a lot yeah i like joe mantegna especially since him doing this character means he gets to do fat tony on the simpsons for 
15 years. I will say, um, while Joey Zaza's death sucks that it's so early, mm-hmm. um, I do think that his death is hilarious. When, yeah. <laughs> when Vincent, he's like, Joey! On the horse. Like, yeah, on the horse. Ride a horse. <laughs> yeah, and he pauses. He's like, Zaza! And then just yeah. drives away, <laughs> rides away. Um, who's your number one? All right. So like I mentioned, this character I don't think is necessarily like a bad character. But... I think you could just replace this character with anybody oh else, and we it may, wouldn't make a difference. We may have the same one. It's the fucking black turtleneck guy from. Oh Bart. no, it's not. But that's that's so good. That's like, so good. <laughs> but like he's just always like all he does in the movie is just stand in the corner like this. He just stands with his arms crossed, just listening to whatever is going on in the foreground, and it's just like you could have had like, like what makes this character special. Like there, there is just nothing really memorable about him, and anytime he's on screen, it's it's so funny to me. Um, I have a few uh, since we're talking about, and, and he's and, and he's also like way, way to not be suspicious by being in Cuba with like a black trench yep, coat. That's exactly. <laughs> Does he not have another outfit? Like, yeah. like if if it was me, and like he shows up, and yeah, I'm Michael, and I'm like, guy in, like Cuba, where it's like ninety degrees outside, and I've been to Cuba. It's fucking hot. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's the first thing. If I'm Michael, I'm like, bro, like, do you need to be like in, down in, a little in, bit? in the shadow? Why are you wearing a turtleneck in like 145 degrees? Because yeah. it's not it's December, but it's still it's hot. So uh-huh. um, cool. So my number one is also an out there one. Someone that I think is the worst member of the Corleone family. I think this character um. And technically, yeah, technically he is a member of the Corleone family. He offers nothing to the story of to the arc of the entire trilogy. Yet the fact that he's in two of these movies, I really, think I know where you're going. Uh, the fact of who was supposed to play this person just makes this character even worse. That they were not able to get this person to play him. <gasps> yep, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. Yep, Johnny fucking Fontaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Al Martino is listen. We're not talking performance here, but Al Martino is not Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, li- yeah. Like uh, again, I are, do you listen to the rewatchables at all? No, I do, but I I've oh. not listened to the Godfather one. They they ha- they, they have Bill Simmons goes on a complete tirade about how bad Al Martino is, and like yeah, like he was like performing at a Holiday Inn. Like where did they get this guy? The only other place I've seen Al Martino's name other than the Godfather. Is at records or at Goodwill? I thought you were literally were gonna say at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's hilarious though. But out like, like I I agree with him. Like Frank Sinatra is like literally one of the coolest people in the world at that time. Yeah, an Oscar winner. Apparently, like I've read. I don't know if if you've read the same thing. Like, I think he just didn't want to be classified as like a gangster because of like the reputation that he had dealing. Like, apparently, he dealt with the organized crime so i guess he didn't want to do it but i think in in retrospect he probably should have i think it's so small of a role that i think he could have just made it one of those like done done what he does and just you know i guess that they do they do this on a rewatchable like hit like four threes do a great Mm -hmm. job and then leave i think sinatra could have done that so but what we get is not that and i think outside of him singing that song i am i am all good on on Johnny Fontaine. 
and I'll, his. I'll, I'll, I'll throw an honorable mention for the same reason when you were talking about like this person almost got casted and it would have been so much like it would have been such a different movie. But I'm pretty sure this is the correct one. But Sylvester Stallone almost played Pauly, the driver in one. That would have been. <laughs> hey, Clemenza. Hey. <laughs> Hey, sit on the other side. I can't see. I can't, you. I can't see the like, mirror. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. And I mean, honorable mention. He didn't make my list because he just wasn't. Um, like at least Johnny Fontaine was so bad. Like we could talk about him, but uh, uh, Tom Hagen's replacement in three. Oh yeah, what was his name again? Uh, George Hamilton, but I forgot the character name. That's yeah. how little I remember him. <laughs> Um, but yeah, all right. So that that wraps up our worst characters. Now let's finish up with our moments. So I had a hard time with the worst moments because there's just not very many yeah. bad moments. So I'll let you take control here until I can okay. figure. I, I full disclosure, I have four right now, and I can't seem to think about a fifth one. So maybe you yeah. can help me out here. So what do you got? All right. So number five. I, I, okay. So. Like we said for characters, like we're not gonna base uh, our decisions around performances. Not here. <laughs> here is where I <laughs> like, like with the impression of like these are two of the best acted movies I've ever seen, and it just like slips up. So number five, I have Michael's heart attack in three. <laughs> yeah. Right oh, right oh. Uh, so that was just Al Pacino's just going a hundred there. Uh, number four, like I mentioned, I wasn't going to try to just dunk on three for the worst moments, so I had to find something from one and two, and the best thing I could come up with is Sonny beating up Car- uh, Sonny beating up Carlo. <laughs> yeah, I think that may be, that may be my fifth, because <laughs> yeah, I mean, he misses him by every... <laughs> yeah, like, you've done like two restorations, and you couldn't have moved the arm over like half an inch to maybe make it look a little bit more realistic. Uh, number three... This one was almost number one, but I sat back and looked at it. I actually moved it down a little bit. The helicopter attack in three. No, I like that scene. Actually, oh, you do? Yeah, I do. I, 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 almost ha- I, I almost had it higher up, but then I realized like I kind of liked it more. But then, like, <laughs> my lucky coat! The funniest one, I listen, while I like that scene, I do think some some stuff is funny in it when he's like, You Saza, you son of a bitch! Also, just like, what was the thought process behind that? Like, how do you get away with that? <laughs> That's just like one of the most like, like if you thought it was bad in two when like the cop walks in and like you know when they're about to put the hit on Pentangeline, that whole thing just falls apart. Like the helicopter, how do you get away with that one? That I one wonder. Just... I don't know if you agree. I wonder if it was done by Zaza thinking that everyone was gonna die, so he was gonna be able to just get away with it. Or do yeah. you mean just by the police? I think just like by the police, like oh, everybody, okay. everybody else in the world, like how, like that's just one of the things that I'm like, really, like this is just like happened and like nobody, like, and it felt like it was a little downplayed after that. Uh, number two, the gnocchi scene. Wait, which one's that one? The kitchen scene with oh, that's and Mary. yes, 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 yep. yes. Um, I, I hold hold your hold your thought on that one. <laughs> All right, I hold your number one. Hold your number one. Yeah. All right. So my number five, you you helped me out here. Uh, Sonny beating up on Carlo. I don't know how I forgot about that. It's, it's when I when I uh, watched the fiftieth anniversary, I was like, man, maybe they finally fixed that. 
Now it even <laughs> looks even clearer because of the, how crisp the the mm-hmm. quality is on it. Uh, number four, you, it's not on your list. Don Atabello's death. <laughs> um, I think it's hilarious, and it's just one of those. We talk about poor acting. I mean, Eli Wallach should have known better. Let, let, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not a very good scene, and like I try not to pick on three a lot here. Um, my number three is a very interesting one because it's a hybrid. Anytime. Okay. Anytime Gildy says international immobile, <laughs> um, I just think he's so bad. And that scene, those, and and he says it so much in the movie that it's just downright awful. Number two, this is one that, um, as a scene, logistically, as a, it's one of the we talk about Kay's poor char- uh, poor character choices. I think this is probably the worst one outside of the abortion, uh, where Michael meets Kay at the school. So it's been yeah, what? Logistically speaking, yeah, that makes like it's a good scene in terms of like writing, acting, both yes. Stuff. But like in terms of like you know, I, I think you're gonna hit on because I, I almost put it in mind, but like, it. Where do the kids go? Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, like my the funniest part for me is like that's one number two. Yeah. Like, do you not want to? You just go to the school and say I'm leaving. Like, do you, does she quit the yeah. job? Does she quit? Like, did she just, like, not let the school know? Like, did she call the school and say, yo, I left some kids, like, out on the street? Like, um, but most importantly, it's been years. Mm-hmm. And so technically, well, let's just say two years, because I think Michael was gone a year, and then he's he, back, he a, back year. a year. Yeah. So let's just say a two-year gap between they last saw each other. Well, even my wife, who's, like, loves the movies as much as I do, is, like, that's a, not a, a very poor relationship choice. Like you don't know what this guy's been up to, let alone he was married, not divorced. Yeah. Technically he never divorces Apollonia. She just dies. And, mm-hmm. um, well, yeah, he's a widow. So it makes sense. Duh. Um, yeah, but the fact that like, she doesn't find out to part three that he was married and mm-hmm. that's through like a song. <laughs> so it, 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 yeah, the whole school scene does not work for me. And then, um, Mine since my number one is your number two, I'll just say my number my number one, and that's Mary and Vincent when they begin their relationship in part three. Mm-hmm. It's out of all the faults in part three, that relationship is p- probably it's probably one of the worst choices ever made in a movie. It makes no sense. It literally does nothing to the story, to the actual trajectory of the film. I think mm-hmm. we still get to Mary's death no matter what. So. She wasn't killed because she was with Vincent. She was killed because she was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, yeah, yeah so that's my number one. Uh, all right. So, so my number one, you actually touched on it, but I went a little bit further. My number <laughs> one, I have written three quarters of Vincent's Revenge. So we've got <laughs> so we've got Bishop Gildes getting shot on the staircase. That whole death acting is kind of bad. And you've got Lucchese getting stabbed with his glasses. That's that, something I never sh- thought I would see in a The Godfather. strongest man in the world to stick yeah, that through his drafted. neck. <laughs> and then, of course, the highlight, Don Altobello getting poisoned by a cannoli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Like, This is the same series that chopped off a horse's head and stuck it in a, director, in a film director's bed. And now we're poisoning cannolis. This is such a weird, like... It's such a weird stray from like 
the kind of deaths that like I expect in the Godfather movies. So. Yeah, it is. And, and, and remind, was, the I other one was like them getting killed on the bridge. I think is what it was. Like that yeah. was. Uh, like, it reminds me, um, the, that death reminds me, very different franchise and genre, but Halloween. Uh, in Halloween 1, there's no blood in the movie. It's very, it's more on an atmospheric horror. Um, mm-hmm. Halloween 2, they up the gore. And I feel like someone told Coppola up, up the gore in this one. And that was, yeah. that was a choice. I, I agree with you 100%. All right. And then let's finish up with our favorite moments. What, what, and- wait, uh, what was your number two? Oh, my number two. Did, you, yeah, did I say I, my number two? I don't think you, because I had. Oh, yeah, I did. So five was Sonny beating up Carlo. Two was Don Antebello's death. Three is anytime they say international immobilare. Two is <laughs> Michael meets K at the school. And then one oh, was, right. yeah, was yeah, Mary yeah. and Vincent. Um, all right, cool. So for our final 10 here, I do have some honorable mentions. Uh, mm-hmm. The heart attack scene sucks, but the just when I thought it was out, they pull me back in scene. Like, mm-hmm. right before that, I think that's really solid. Uh, I command this family, right or wrong, it is not what I wanted! That scene is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, This one's probably on your list. It just missed my cut. Uh, Hyman Roth and Michael, when the Mo Green reveal, when she oh, he tells wow. that story about Las Vegas, it is... That, yeah. It, more, more on that later. Yeah, it yeah. just missed it. Um. Number 10 is the opera finale in three, like literally the final on the steps mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Michael, Michael Pacino's acting in that move in that scene is just on another level. Although Sophia just does not act very well. And that, that that's probably literally the heart of like the movie is her death. And she's, he's like, dad, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the scene as itself is still very heartbreaking. Number nine is Tom Hagen's Frank Pantangeli's conversation about the roman empire mm, um yep. because in that moment like tom hagan it's very sought up when he when fantasia is like the corleone family is at the roman empire and then tom hagan pauses and he's like it was it's like he knows like it's over like everything is over and at that moment he also convinces pantangeli to kill himself which is still crazy um but that scene is just pretty much touches on like why maybe we shouldn't have gotten the third one because it really closes everything up very nicely. Uh, number eight is the opening scene of The Godfather. Like, I believe in America. And I think that line is so important because I think it's, it's significance to, like, an immigrant's chase of the American dream. And that scene itself touches on so many aspects of, like, Vito's like, why did you go to the police first? Why didn't you just come to me? Like, this guy's trying to be go by the book like bonus said is trying to go by the book but in reality like following that american dream may not be the same for everybody and i think oh that scene captures everything and it pretty much sets the tone of what we're gonna get uh number seven for me is the death of sunny i've never seen anyone shot so much in my entire life in film without any bullet holes (laughs) but the scene as a whole is just really works for me except when they're following him like how do you how are you that distant from him like, mm-hmm. you literally just jump in the car right away yeah. uh but that scene is when i first saw it was actually very shocking i did not expect sunny to die so it has a very effective nature there and the number six is the shooting of mccluskey and salazzo because uh too low 
maybe yeah i i'll go ahead and say that's in my top five okay Um, (laughs) for me the scene you touched on it first from tessio saying like you know if you take the gun behind Mm -hmm. that works so well and then when mike small michael thinking of what's not there like he's like looking and he's like wait a minute what is it not here and then the hesitation for him to drop the gun at the end just like Mm -hmm. you as an audience member like drop the gun drop the gun and he like doesn't drop it to the last possible second and the score hits fantastic so that's my 10 through 6 all right uh i had to do some honorable mentions while you were talking because i i definitely forgot some that i really want to talk about and i know you probably will i just want to throw them out there as well so honorable mentions for me are the wedding in one i mean i i'm i definitely love this movie most i i the, i love this movie more when there are more members of the family on screen I and agree. this is just tenfold i was watch i was rewatching some of the scenes this morning and i was just looking at all the people in the background i can't find a single person who is like does not fit in place and is it like i always try to look do that when there's like a lot of extras i try to see if there's like somebody in the background who's like overacting or doing anything like that and nothing um the ending of both movies one and two i love both of them but i just figured you'd probably put one of them on so i'd let you do the talking there Ah, uh, yes and then a small moment that i just really like the mattresses montage in one uh after uh michael shoots Salazzo i like that a lot yeah yeah ed- edited, edited by george lucas let me tell you i used to not like that scene too much but as i've gotten older and i appreciate the film more i think it's it's a nice uh it's a nice way of not putting an intermission into the movie and in fact, like that's where the intermission would have gone, and it would have been a cool thing to come back to. I think. Yeah, I um, agree. So yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Number ten, uh, I almost I was really close to putting this one higher, but I just couldn't because I like the others a bit more. The brothers hug at Mama's funeral, and oh Michael stares God. at Al, and Michael oh. stares at Al Neary. That, oh. that that that's probably the most emotionally wrecking scene for me in the movie. Because, like, like you said earlier uh, for the ending, like, each time I just, like, I think maybe they're actually making up. And then he sends that look to Al Neary. And Al Neary's a cold motherfucker. So when he can't even look at Michael, he's like, damn, bro, like, you're straight up ruthless. Yep. Um, number nine, this is one of the scenes that I've actually really become more fond of recently. And that's Tessio's fate at the end of Godfather. War. Poor guy. He's like, <laughs> as, as soon as Chi Chi's like, we're going to have to like take separate cars and everyone starts surrounding him. He knows. And he takes it like a freaking champ. He just goes, um, tell Michael, I always liked them. It was only business. And I was just like, wow, and even this- more credit to Tessio. He's like, bro, I fucked up, but I'm still going to ask for a pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he, he, he knows he was like, yeah, this is what I get. Uh, Number eight, I think we had the same position, or I think you might have had a spot higher, but I believe in America. That's the same spot. Same spot. Yeah. Yeah. Number eight, I mean, awesome, goes into the wedding, one of the great opening sequences of all time. And honestly, the actor who plays uh, Bonacera, yeah, he's he's acting at the toes of Brando. Like, he's going with him. Mm -hmm. And he's, I think that was his, that might have been like his first movie or something like that. Because I remember reading that he was. Not as experienced as Brando, but he's he's on fire, that whole scene. Um, number seven, maybe a bit low for some, but I do like it. And it also has the shot of the movie for me. Uh, the murder of Don Finucci. It's a little lower than mine. Yeah. 
the, the murder of Don Fanucci, De Niro with the gun, with the light flashing on him, that's the shot of the movie for me. Uh, and just the whole tracking shot of De Niro following him on the rooftop leading up to it. That's just My awesome. guy. Yeah, uh, I've, I've talked about that in a minute. Number six, this one, you, you'll probably be shocked that I have it as low as I do, but The Baptism. <gasps> yeah. <sighs> I can't now I can't wait for your number one great scene is so influential I mean Breaking Bad kind of just ripped it off in one of in season five with the episode Dead Freight where yeah but yeah I mean that's still one of the most shocking moments in a movie for me and one of the most effective uses of cross-cutting I've seen yeah back and just seeing this man like the duality of man practically Did, did Godfather win editing no, it's not. That was cabaret, and I can actually. That's one. That's one of the cabaret wins where I'm like, okay, like I, I get, I get that one. I guess just the editing in cabaret that, is really good. It is, but the, uh, Bob, that Bob, baptism yeah, editing is just <laughs> incredible. And that was your six, right? Uh, yep. All right. Yes, yes. Uh, do five through two, and then I'll I will finish up. Okay. All right. At number five. That kid's name was Mo Green. Oh the yes. Built was, was Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. That is, uh, we were uh, talking about the rewatchables again about how like, like shooting four threes. He's just doing like heat check after heat check. Everything that he does in that scene is so good. The second that Michael flips and goes, who had the, uh, who had Frank Pentangeli killed? The second that he's like, but who gave the order? I know I didn't. Uh, Hyman Roth kind of turns on the slope of like are you fucking serious with me? Like, you're going to like be complaining about this. And then he goes on to this huge tangent and it's not until he hits the line of someone put a bullet through his eye. And that's just one of the best deliveries of any line in the Godfather movies, in my opinion. Yep. And, and I think like for the whole, the whole time up to that point, you don't really get a sense of like Hyman Roth as like a villain. Cause like you get the impression like, Oh, he like worked with Vito and like all that. The first, the only other time you really get like an impression of him like a bad guy is when he's talking to Michael and he's like it's when he's first skeptical about the deal after he talks about like that Cuba the Cuban soldier who um who like killed the uh the general and all that yes. stuff. Um but no that scene is just incredible to me. Uh, number 4 Superman and Fredo's drunken self-expose. That scene is we, we we talked about Michael's best face acting, and I truly that was think it. That, that was scene. it. That for me, yeah. The second he says Johnny Ola introduced me to this place, and he turns his eyes like it's the most blank expression with I've, so much thought behind it. Like I, I feel that scene because it's not on mine, um, but I feel that moment is incredibly like heartbreaking for Michael. Like that's the moment that you're just like fuck, man. Like I he I feel like he prayed he was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. You're at th- Num- three, three, right? Yes. Number three, Michael at the hospital. Oh, yes, yes. That's yeah, a great the, scene. The, this, this was honestly my favorite scene for a long time. And it honestly, it, it might still be my favorite from one because there's like two I go between and one that I really like. Um, but no, just the, the atmosphere of the hospital is so eerie. And then you've got Enzo coming back, Clutch Enzo helping out save the day. Um, and then you have the moment with the lighter. You know, you, have you thought about that moment? Yeah, that that's so interesting to me. Wait a minute. I what uh what's the moment? I mean, I know the lighter that he's having yeah, he, a hard he, time. He's he's like shaking. He's shaking. 
working with the lighter and he um or Enzo's trying to light a cigarette, he's shaking with the lighter, and then Michael takes it with his steady hand and lights it, and he kind of just looks at his he looks at his hand with the lighter, and it's almost like he's like he he realizes how nervous he's not. Because like Enzo's like nervous crap, yeah. like he's shaking, and then Michael lights it, does it easy. He kind of just like looks at his hand with the lighter and then shuts it. And then that's when McCluskey and the cops roll up. Interesting. Yeah, that is that is pretty really interesting little moment. And then that's your three, right? Yes. All right. Number two. Take care of me. I'm your big brother, Mike. You take care of me. <laughs> that scene is that, my favorite scene in two. Each time I watch it, that's just like like we like we mentioned with uh, Fredo and Michael in the club, where like he just sinks himself. This is just a scene where it just goes even lower, and it's just like dang, because like everything that Fredo's saying makes sense. Like it's it's. It completely makes sense for his character to do that with his motivations and like send Fredo off to do this and Fredo off to do that. And not once do I like feel like, oh, Fredo, like that was stupid. Like you yep. shouldn't have done that. It was like, it makes complete sense and it's just so heartbreaking that it has to go the way that it does. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to touch on that in a few seconds. Um, so yeah, I'll run through mine real quick. My number five is the murder of Don Finucci. You kind of touched on a lot about that, especially I was hoping that you touched on it too, was probably one of my favorite shots in two is just him, uh, De Niro walking through the rooftops. I think mm-hmm. that scene works fantastic. And I also like, cause that leads into the intermission where once he kills Finucci, yes. he's with his family and he's like, Michael, your father loves you very much. And I think the score in that scene is fantastic. Um, the production design and just that shot that you mentioned with the light bulb, I think mm-hmm. fans so, so damn good. Number four, I'm surprised it hasn't been mentioned yet. The horse's head in Godfather. Yeah. I, I, I thought about putting that on there. I think the decision to start with the Godfather theme and then change to something that's a bit more eerie was really what made that scene great for me when I first watched it. And I also think it's the first scene in the entire franchise. It is that shows that the Corleone family is not joking. When they want something, they're going to get that. Uh, yeah, everything about that scene works for me. And Walter's reaction, just chef's mm-hmm. kiss. Uh, number yeah. three is a complete hybrid of, I know it was you, Fredo. Fredo's forgiveness and Fredo murdered. I think those three just mm-hmm. like, feel like it's one huge moment. And that scene that you were talking about, like, um, when he's like, you know, the body language of Fredo. Fredo looks like an absolutely defeated man in that scene. And then Michael just standing over him with little to no respect left in for him. I think that's so powerful. Obviously, I know it was you, Fredo. It's iconic. And then the look you mentioned before, it's just the look of um, that Al, that he gives Al Neri. And Al Neri is like, like you said, he's like, bro, are you really going to make me do this? Yeah, like I can't tell you I'm not want to do this, but you're really gonna make me do this. Um, and obviously when he gets killed, the him praying is like just and Mike. The fact that Michael's watching him get killed also like brilliant in terms of making this movie and turning him into like the biggest piece of shit, but also mm-hmm. like the most heartbreaking movie of the entire trilogy because Michael's literally watching his brother get killed and he has nothing to say about it except. Also, a, a small thing about that, uh, the death scene I really like. I really like the gull that's, like, cr- that's like cawing after uh, Fredo gets shot and before the scene ends. Like, it's the wide shot of the lake. Uh, Neri is, like, standing up, 
and there's like a seagull that's like screaming and yep. it's just really eerie and uh, I, it's not really a scene but what do you think because literally after that is that you know the throwback scene and then um oh yeah okay oh, I, I forgot to mention this because i was thinking about it when i was making my list and the thing that's interesting about the godfather movies is like there are like sequences that are awesome like a 25 minute wedding sequence and then you yeah. have like 45 seconds of Clemenza teaching Michael how to make meatballs. So yeah, there's just so many like good moments, like whether they're like massive or just like 30 seconds. It's just like safe to say this is they're perfect movies. Um, (laughs) Number two for me is, um, Oh yeah, no last question on, on the Fredo stuff. That final shot of two when he's just sitting there, how far in how far after these events do you think that is? Because if you notice he has gray hair, Michael has grays throughout. I wonder when that scene takes place in the continuity of the story. Because when you watch Godfather 2, he doesn't have grays until the end of that scene. And you already see, like, they even add, like, little wrinkles to his face. Mm -hmm. And obviously the grays. So I wonder how far in advance he's just sitting there contemplating. So I wonder, this is probably something that I've never thought of until this very moment. I've always thought about that scene. I wonder if... The entire movie is Michael just sitting there thinking about all the events that just transpired. And we go back and we finish with him just like because he has his hand on his face contemplating of like, what is he actually thinking about? Like, is he thinking about everything that just happened in this movie? Is the entire movie him just sitting there and just thinking about these events that transpired and it culminates at the end with him, the shot of him, camera pulls in and he's just on his face and his hand on his face and he takes a deep breath and then the score hits like that, it that, that's an unbelievable uh analysis i think you i think you might be right i think that's that that would make complete sense and I like mean, no one's ever talked about it it's just something that like i've always been drawn to that scene and i've never really put mm-hmm. anything like i've never really put two and two together until like the last time i watched it and i was just like wait a minute this may be like Maybe it, maybe not. Maybe I'm just overanalyzing, but yeah. Uh, my number two, um, it's one of my favorite Al Pacino scenes of his career. It was an abortion, Michael. Mm-hmm. It's, I, we talk about perfection and mannerisms and physical performance. I, I, come on, man. Like the way yeah. that scene starts, Pacino's face from beginning, it goes into the fact of like he tries to be the supportive husband. And as soon as she says it was an abortion, Michael, I had it killed because this must all end. His face just completely changes. And then when um, when he's like, you you won't take my children. He's like, you won't take my children. I'm like, oh, my God, Al, you did not have to go that hard. Um, I say that's her Oscar her Oscar scene in two as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Diane Keaton. And then my number yeah. one, uh, because yours is more surprising than mine, because you already said mine. My number one is the baptism. I think it's the best finale in any movie ever made. I think you mentioned the cross cutting, and I was going to mention like how brilliant the editing is in that movie, and specifically that scene. The fact that you you mentioned the duality of like the mo- one of the most religious sacraments a person can receive, and the person that is reciting this prayer is literally conducting one of the worst sins a person can do and everything about that scene works for me and the fact that at that very moment michael corleone is becoming the only don in the in 
the mafia. <laughs> he yeah. literally is the top head honcho. No one can fuck with him after this. Uh, yeah. So that's my number one. It's literally my favorite, favorite performance. I mean, my favorite scene in the entire franchise trilogy and, uh, a better performance by Sofia Coppola in that scene than three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, like you, uh, my number one has already been mentioned by you. Oh. Uh, it is Louis' Restaurant in the Bronx. Nice. I mean, really just like from when, yeah, I guess I would call like the dinner table, Michael saying goodbye to his family. The car ride there, them eating, and then going to the bathroom and getting the gun. Just that whole scene is just continuously building with more and more tension. And like you said, um, there's that extra layer of tension of it's like, oh, it's like the gun not there and all that stuff. Um, but then I hear like the ping it makes when it comes when he pulls it off. And I'm like, OK, thank God. But the other thing that I really like about that scene is. No subtitles when they're talk when they're speaking in Italian. Love that, love that. And, and it took me like forever to realize like, what? Why is that the case? And it was only when I looked up the translation, and I was just like, oh, this is just stuff that they've already talked about, or this is stuff that we can already like infer. Like, oh, Salazzo, like, sorry, he had to like kill, like, try to kill your dad and that kind of stuff. Like, it's just business. And I was just like. Oh, that's not what that's not what's important right now. Like what's important is is Michael going to make this decision. And so that was like the first time that I realized like oh, it's not necessarily what they're saying in a movie that's important. It's what is going on internally with the characters that can be really important. Yeah, I I, I like that analysis a lot, especially the is Michael going to do it? Because I don't think he knows until because because what Sonny and Clemenza instructed him to do is the second he comes out of the bathroom, mm-hmm. start blasting. But yep. he comes out and sits back down. So you're just like, what are you doing? And then it leads to, well, actually, okay, two awesome slow close-ups with Michael. You've got that one there. And then there's also the one when he's talking about the plan during the meeting. That almost made my scene. The too. the one when the camera starts panning to him, mm-hmm. where he says, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that almost made my top ten. But, yeah, just the tension in that uh, uh, climaxing with the... Uh, the subway going overhead. Um, yeah. The just- sound design in that scene is fantastic with the with the train because I think mm-hmm. it's just like as a as a train is building up speed, he's building up like this the courage to do what he needs to do. Uh, yeah, that's a gr- that's a great great scene and a great way to end it. Uh, this is a long one, but mm-hmm. I think this is a very very great discussion of on the films. I think this is uh, probably one of my favorite podcasts I've done in a while because I've talking about the godfather is one yeah. of my favorite things to do so yeah with that being said jack thank you so much for being on do you want to plug anything before we go yeah be sure to check out the league of cinephiles on youtube and the critics circle on instagram awesome all right until next week see you at the movies kids mm-hmm.